Good morning, Trinity Church. Today I have the privilege to read a scripture from the book of Luke, chapter 24, verses 46 to 53. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ shall suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin shall be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Now this here, this in Spanish. Y les dijo... Así está escrito, y así fue necesario que el Cristo padeciese y resucitase de los muertos al tercer día, y que se predicase en su nombre el arrepentimiento y el perdón de pecados en todas las naciones, comenzando desde Jerusalén. Y vosotros sois testigos de estas cosas. He aquí, yo enviaré la promesa de mi Padre sobre vosotros, pero quedaos en la ciudad de Jerusalén hasta que seáis investidos de poder desde lo alto. Y lo sacó fuera hasta Betania, y alzando sus manos los bendijo, y aconteció que bendiciéndolos se separó de ellos y fue llevado arriba al cielo. Ellos después... De haberle adorado, volvieron a Jerusalén y con gran gozo y estaban siempre en el templo alabando y bendiciendo a Dios. Esta es la palabra del Señor. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for your grace. I pray that as we just continue uh, leaning into you, we've done it through worship. And we want to do it through the proclamation of the word now. I pray that you would transform hearts, warm us to you in your glorious name. Amen. You guys are great. You can take a seat. It is good to be with you. Thank you, Josh, for leading worship. And it's great to have you back, by the way, too. Yeah, you can have you back. It's great to have you back. Uh, it's good to be with you all in the house of the Lord today. I'm excited to get in today's message. It is, it's Advent. It's already Christmas. Did it seem like it came really fast to anybody else? I felt, boom, all of a sudden we're, we're here. Uh, and, and I'm excited to get into today's message and this season uh, of Advent. And the way we're going to approach it, it's going to be just a little different this year, and I'm excited about it. Uh, we have been, for those that are a part of the church, you know this, for the last year, we have been looking at each of the major narratives throughout the Bible. So like creation, fall, working our way through each of these stories all year long. And this year, we will be, as we're working our way through the Bible, like literally chronologically, the events as they took place to the best of our ability, um, we've landed at the spot where we're at the ascension. 
So Jesus has already come in our story in the Bible. Jesus has already come. He's already been born. He's already done all the parables. He's already healed the sick, the lame. He's already died on the cross. He's already risen from the dead. And now it's 40 days after he has rose from the dead and he's about to go back up into heaven. And that's where we're starting Advent. Awesome. <laughs> and it actually is super cool in the fact that, and I've been thinking about this for the last number of months, um, we are able to identify with the people that were waiting for Jesus to come the first time. Because we're waiting for him to come again. And, and I don't know if you watch the news. If you do, you're probably clinically depressed. That's cool. But um, for those that do, for those that do watch the, watch the news, I mean, and, and even if you don't, like you have moments where you wake up and you look at the news or what's happening in the world and deep inside, you're just thinking, at least I am, I would love it if Jesus would just come back today. Like, man, it'd be great, Lord, if you would come. And the reality is prior to his first Emmanuel, when Jesus came as a baby, those were the same prayers, right? Like, we are waiting for the Messiah to come. We're longing for him. And so as odd as it is, though, we have a, adjusted mission slightly because of the church age. They were in a season of waiting prior to the coming of Jesus. And in our waiting for Jesus to come again, we are also in a season of waiting. So the, the question that we're going to be kind of talking about for the next few weeks is, what does it mean to wait well for the coming of Christ? How do you wait well? And so much of our life is learning to wait well. I get asked questions on and off, and uh, it's fun. I actually like a lot of the questions. You know, how can there be a, a good God if there's evil in the world? And it's, it's the same questions, really, that just kind of cycle back around. And a lot of them are really fun. You know, another question that I get asked that's, that's kind of fun is like, uh, you know, uh, why do bad things happen to good people? And it's kind of fun because like the technical theological answer is there are no good people. But I know that's not what people want to hear. So, But it's, it's just fun. I like the questions. It's fun to kind of hammer through them all uh, with, with people. But one of them that I've been asked numerous times over the years is, why did you go into the ministry? Why are you a pastor? And this question is often asked of me from young people, even some young people that are maybe even considering it. Like, why, why are you, why did you become a pastor? And so I want to share with you today, and I, I did this briefly on Facebook, but like, I want to share with you, because I, I responded to this publicly already, the arc of why I became a pastor, not just the specific stories, but like the grand thing that happened in my heart that led me over the course of a few years to, to going into the ministry. I remember being back in, um, why am I a pastor? I remember being back in late junior high, early high school. And uh, it was in the, in the 90s back then. My kids think I'm old. Uh, you know, for some people that sounds young. For others, that sounds old. My, this is a little while back, my kids were like, Dad, you were born all the way back in the 1900s. And I was like, wait. <laughs> the, way, the way you worded that is a little, I mean, technically I was born in, in the 19. Okay, so, but it was funny just listening to them. And I remember being back in school and I was sitting in a science class and I was bored, if you remember being back in school um, in the 90s, especially. And, and I was in there and uh, they would roll in these TVs on these carts. Remember the TVs on carts? 
in the classroom. And it's like the TVs were wide and deep, deep and wide. They were huge, these big, massive TVs. And they would roll them in, and then below them, they would have like the VHS players, and, and that's how you would that's how you'd watch TV in your classroom. And so uh, I remember being in there and we were going to watch another movie again, fine. And I was learning to practice uh, like spinning my pen. Did you guys ever spin your, spin pins? Like have you ever seen those people? They can take a spin, they can spin it and then catch it and spin it and catch it. Uh, Well, this is, I was still, I can do it now, but I was learning to do it back then. And I remember sitting in the class and if you've ever been around somebody learning to do that, it's really annoying because they're constantly dropping it. So it's like spin, drop, you know, spin, drop, spin, drop. And the person next to you is like, stop it. You know, and then here comes the teacher pushing the cart on those casters. I can still hear it in my head. Like wheeling it into the, into the room, you know, and they plug it in and they turn it on. And, and then they pull out the cassette to put in. And it was yet another episode. My, I don't know why, but my science teacher thought it was really good for us to watch. Carl Sagan's Cosmos TV show. Do you guys remember that? So uh, if you're young, you, you, you probably don't. But there was this uh, PBS fairly famous TV series called Cosmos by Carl Sagan. And it was like this very implicitly, not explicitly, but implicitly atheistic view of the world. And, and kind of the arc of it was to get the, the way, at least the way they used it in our classroom, was to get kids interested in science, but try to give them purpose that wasn't tied into any like theology idea. So there's one kind of famous line, I'm not saying it exactly right, but I remember being in class and Carl Sagan kind of walks out and he's like, the universe is all that there ever was and all that there ever will be. And then he goes on to talk about how the purpose that you have is the purpose that you bring to things. And I remember even being like a young man sitting there. I've always been a little academically you know, inclined by the grace of God. And, uh, and I remember sitting there as a young man, and even as a young man, there was something very unsatisfied with this only material view of the world. Like, I wanted objective purpose. I wanted, like, meaning that I could lean into that, like, origin and destination and purpose of the universe. And then, like, the thing that ran through my mind even as a young man was, like, my heart wants objective meaning and purpose, but so do the hearts of all humans. It's like, how did we evolve an appetite for something that doesn't exist, like this metaphysical longing and hunger? And, of course, they try to answer it in all kinds of different ways. But no matter how I tried to learn from that, I was always left wanting more. In fact, I remember even as the years progressed, so like junior high into high school and even, you know, coming out of high school and into early college. And at this point, God's really working in my heart. And I remember, I, and I still do, I really enjoy fiction literature and so I'd read through like Lord of the Rings and led through like Chronicles of Narnia and, you know, and I'd even at this point, like the Harry Potter series had come out. So I, was, I even like read parts of that and, and ended up going through that whole series too. And, and I remember even sitting down with my parents at one point and I was like, you know, what's really weird? A lot of these stories, even stories that weren't Christian, a lot of these stories that all touched my heart when you brush away all of the extra. So all the details in each of these stories, when you brush it all away, I was like, 
it's like it's the same story over and over and over again. The story that touches my heart, it's the same story. It's like uh, there is this person who is massively selfless and they're really charitable and they go through hardship and, and then they rise to power. But when they rise to power, they do so with like this benevolent heart and they're charitable and they want to make the world like when I brush away all of the extra and all of these random stories, the part that touches my heart, it's the same story over and over and over again. There's like a prime rubric for what is beautiful. And so it's like I'm on a journey to discover what the prime rubric for what is beautiful is. And I remember like even going through the Bible and as I'm reading through the story of Jesus, not reading through the Bible primarily for information, like to learn facts and details, though that's good to do too, but reading through the Bible literally just being immersed in the grand narrative of it, you come across the story of Jesus and you're like, that's it. That's the purest version of what beautiful is. Selflessness and humility and like ultimate power ultimately coming and then coming to serve rather than over, like it's just this humility and selflessness and the fruit of the spirit and mercy and grace and all of these things. Like Jesus is the place where all of these beautiful stories are all coming from. Right there in the center of it is Christ. So this idea runs through my head. And a lot of this was heavily influenced by C.S. Lewis for sure, but it's like, I don't just want to see beautiful things. I want to know where all the beauty comes from. I want to know where every beautiful moment comes from. Every bite of a good piece of food, every time I walk out and see the stars and they're glorious, shining in the sky, every time I'm hiking on a mountain trail and I'm overwhelmed by how beautiful like a turn is, you know, overlooking like a valley, or every time I'm at a beach and I listen to the waves roll in or I look out across the ocean. I mean, every little moment of beauty, I want to know where all those beautiful moments come from. I want to know where all the beauty comes from. And right there, as I'm reading the story of Jesus, it's like, that's it. That's the prime rubric. So here's the crazy thing. I've heard people talk about their call to ministry. Some people, their call to ministry is like, I think God gifted me for this. That's fine. That's not the primary reason I'm in ministry. I've heard people talk about their call to ministry and they're like, I'm in ministry because, you know, sin is so awful and it just wears people out and tears them out. That's all true. And I do want a war against that, but I'm actually not in ministry because of sin. And some people, I've heard them, they're called to ministry and they're like, you know, our call to ministry, it's like we're going to storm the gates of hell and we want to do, and that's fine. I think that's, I, I'm not putting any of that down. I'm not in ministry because of sin. I'm not in ministry because of hell. I'm not in ministry because of all of this brokenness. And I'm not in ministry for that. I'm actually in ministry because I found the place where all the beauty comes from. I'm in ministry not because I'm obsessed with the sin and the death. I'm in ministry because I'm obsessed with the beauty and the life. That's why I'm in ministry. Now, yes, we take sin on and we storm the gates of hell and we do these things, but not because that's the purpose, because the purpose is the beauty. So here's the crazy thing. Like, my purpose for me 
my personal purpose is the same purpose I have for you. It's the same purpose I have for my kids. I want you to find the place where all the beauty comes from. And I believe it is at the feet of Jesus Christ. That's why I'm a pastor. I want you to lean into what you can lean into for forever. That's why I'm a pastor. And so like in this, man, even as I look and I'm questioning purpose and I'm seeing the beauty of Jesus' purpose, if I'm totally honest, there's one part of Jesus' purpose that even makes me go, a what? I'm going to take you, and of course the scripture was read earlier, but I want to take you uh, to the book of Acts Acts 1, 6 through 8. And, and I just want you to be very aware, right before Jesus left, the ascension has always been an odd thing for me. Right before Jesus left, and I think it was also odd for his disciples, his disciples asked him a very important question. They asked Jesus an important question right before he left them to go up into heaven. And it's a question I would love to ask you. Acts 1, 6 through 8, and it says this. So when they had come together... They asked him, right? So the disciples are asking Jesus before he goes into heaven, this is such a good question. And it's like the question I want to ask. It's the question that many of you ask every day, maybe in different ways, or at least at different moments, like when life is hard, right? Like, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Is now the day that you're finally going to fix all that's broken? I mean, have you had moments where it's like a loved one is sick and you're praying and praying and praying and every time you pray, you think, is now the time that, Lord, you will actually fix all this? Or maybe it's just like the grand brokenness of the world. You're aware of what's happening on the Gaza Strip and you're aware of what's happening in Ukraine. You're aware of what's happening like Myanmar and Burma. You're aware of all of the global stuff and you're like, is now the time, God, that you're finally going to stop all this brokenness? Because let's be honest, the disciples at this time, right, like God has come, he's done all these things, he's spent, now spent 40 days Post his rising from the dead, before his ascension, 40 days basically kick-starting the church age, getting it going, and then all of a sudden he's about to go up into heaven, and understandably the disciples are like, dude, the emperor is still in power. These people are still dying of diseases. There's still abuse. There's still hurt. There's still mistreatment. Are you, is now the time you're finally going to fix all of this? I mean, when you read this and you think about the historical context, their question makes total sense. Lord, will you at time, at this time, finally, like finally, finally, that's my words, I'm adding, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, oh, man, don't you love it? It's like a parent, the kid goes, can I have ice cream for every meal? And the parent's like, you don't get it. And he said to them, it is not for you to know. Wah, wah, wah. It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks. Uh, comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So right there, he gives them massive purpose. Like basically what happens is Jesus says this. 
Jesus basically says, the kingdom has come through me, but will continue through you until I come back. And then he commissions them, commissions them, and then he goes. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? Well, let's begin with this big idea. There are parts of God's divine work that we don't fully understand. And there does have to be, even with us, like before God, as people that study and learn and want to grow in wisdom and favor and stature of favor of God, like as we grow in our faith, there are absolutely moments where God is just bigger than humans. And we really do have to apply a level of trust. And we don't entirely get it. Every parent understands this with their child. I've done this with my kids where I'm like, listen, this is what you're going to do. And I know you don't get it yet, but you got to trust me. There's a little bit of that in this. But there also is divine purpose, right? So what does this all mean? Well, let me begin with this initial thought, right? So basically, if your heart beats, if you are alive, now this would be really awkward if somebody actually did drop dead right now, right? But it's like, no, if you are alive and you are in this room right now, if you're alive and you're in this room, God believes you still have a purpose here. You do have a purpose. I mean, the way this works out, it's like, if I am alive and I'm on this planet and I'm a believer, God has a purpose for me. And when my purpose is done, he's going to take me home. Home. But if you're not home yet, you're still here. You have a purpose. There is mountains of spiritual warfare over this. I'm telling you, especially worked with young adults. A lot of my time was working with young adults in ministry before I became a senior pastor. There is so much warfare over purpose. The enemy wants you to forget, turn a blind eye, believe it's not true. The enemy absolutely wants to convince you that you do not have a purpose. I'm telling you, if your heart beats, you have a purpose. In fact, let me say it like this, especially in this cultural moment in history, right now people believe what they feel about themselves is most true about them. I'm here to tell you what's most true about you is what he says about you. So there will be days you don't feel like you have a purpose, but he says you do have a purpose. And there are times as believers, you got to get up, you got to look in the mirror and you got to go, what he says about me is more true than what I feel about me. The other thing I would say is this, if you are not a Christian and I, I, I Piercing to the bone, I intend to be a little offensive because I want you to deal with it. If you are not a Christian, your only purpose, more important than where you're going to eat lunch, more important than what job you're going to get, more important than how much money you make, more important than your retirement. If you are not a Christian, your primary purpose, why your heart still beats is so that you can reconcile what you're going to do with Jesus. 
That is your only purpose. Listen, if you are not a Christian, from a Christian perspective, from God's perspective, if you're not a Christian, like if you're going, what's the Bible say my purpose is? If you're not a Christian, the Bible says your primary purpose is to reconcile what you're going to do with Jesus. That is the reason he has kept you alive this far. What are you going to do with Jesus? You got to reconcile what you're going to do with him. If you are a Christian, well, we've got some things that we can consider. So doing a survey of scripture, if you are a believer, these are the three things and they are complex and there's a lot of diversity in them, right? So think of like, I use this a lot as a metaphor, but like light hitting a prism and you have the spectrum. There's a lot of different ways in which they can play out, but there's three primary railroad tracks that believers are supposed to walk down if you are still on this planet. God goes up to heaven. He commissions us to have purpose while we're here. While we are here, these are the things that we are called to do. The first one is this. Pray, 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 pray. It is all over the Bible. I listed a few of the scripture verses that you can reference later if you're curious, but you could honestly just go to like chat GPT and go list all the Bibles on prayer and cheat if you want to. That's fine. Just get to them, right? Like praying is an essential core part of what it means to be a Christian. What do I mean by prayer? Okay, most of the time when people come into my office and want to pray, this is the framework in which they do so. And, and this isn't bad. I'm not putting, I am not putting this down. I'm just saying it's not the whole picture. Most of the time when people pray, they pray as an honesty before God, which is wonderful. That's wonderful. It's not bad. So they pray like this. Lord, I would really like to be married. Which Josh is married now. Where's Josh at? Yay! We love, it's good to have you back too. We love you tons. Um, Lord, I would love to be married. You pray for us. Lord, I would love to make more money. Love, uh, Lord, I would love to have a different job. Lord, I'm really frustrated with my boss. Uh, Lord, I confess my uh, struggle with this sin. Lord, I, and so you're this honesty before God. Listen, Prayer is truth-telling. That is absolutely true. I 100% support it. That's wonderful. Yes, do it. But that's not the only purpose of prayer, is truth-telling about yourself. That's not the only purpose of prayer. The other thing that you see woven through all of the Scripture is this. You are to pray for the kingdom to come. Pray for the kingdom to come. Pray for the kingdom to come. So let me give you an example of how this might work out. Not only are you praying for Jesus' return, you are praying, this is post-ascension, Matthew 20, 18, 19, and 20, the commission of the people, you are praying that God will allow you to be a conduit of the kingdom of God. So you're on your way to work. This is what it looks like. You're on your way to work, and you're driving down the road, and you are... Man, Lord, I just work is so hard for me, and I don't like my boss, and I don't like my coworkers, and and I wish I got paid more, and somebody really needs to hear this sermon in this room. And <laughs> you're frustrated with all that's happening, right? You're driving down the road, you're just confessing all, you're being honest with God. That's wonderful. Do that. And add this. Lord, help me to bring your kingdom and your heart into that place. That's what you add. That's what you add. 
You're not just praying for God's return kingdom. You're praying that you be a conduit of the kingdom of God. So like what happens is God looks at all of this earth, right? Some of you, it's like, man, the holidays are rolling around. My nephew is going to come and all he's going to want to do is fight about politics, right? Or uh, we're going to gather together and my aunt drives me absolutely crazy. Or my spouse is driving me nuts right now. Or my kids are driving me nuts right now. And this is so difficult. And you're confessing all this honestly to the Lord. Wonderful. And add, Lord, by your grace, help me to bring your kingdom into that spot. You're praying for his kingdom to come. That you will be able to participate, commissioned by God. Your heart still beats, you still have purpose, that's part of it. You are to be the kingdom of God, bringer of the kingdom of God in this world. Now, here's the crazy thing, right? So, like, you're praying, Lord, I just... I would love it. My work is really hard. This is really difficult. My boss drives me nuts. My coworkers are driving me crazy. And then God looks at all the brokenness of the world, right, in his divine way. And through a million complicated processes, he designs that he's going to pluck you out and put you in the very place that you're praying to get out of. Because the kingdom of God is needed there. You have a purpose. Lord, help me to bring your kingdom here. Okay, now, now that said, I think you can pray a combination of things, right? I think it's okay. You think about like Paul in prison or whatever, right? I think it's okay to pray. Lord, or like the Psalms, read the Psalms, right? King David and all that he went through. So it's like, I think it's okay to pray, Lord, I don't like my work. I don't like my boss. This is really frustrating. This is not the kingdom of God. And it's really difficult. I would like to have a new job. I think it's okay to pray that. And Lord, while I am here, help me to honor you and bring your kingdom into this place. I think those prayers can coexist. They can coexist. Lord, I don't like that I'm still a single adult. I don't like, I wish I was right. I wish I had kids. I wish I had. But in this margin that I do have, I would love for you to take me out of this and give me a different situation. And while I'm here, help me to bring your kingdom. Whatever it is, you are not only praying honesty to God, you're praying his kingdom come and that you participate in it, whatever it might look like. So pray. The second thing is this, participate, participate. Pray and participate. The scripture is full of these. Uh, man, you could just basically read the book of James and, uh, and cover it. But there's so much more even outside of that. Pray and participate. We in the West are obsessed with ideas. So just be very aware, again, of where we are at, at a culture, like culturally wide in the West right now. Uh, so you can be, you can have like a, an MBA, a Master's of Business Administration. You can have an MBA and be considered a business expert and never success, successfully done business. Right, like that's the culture we live in. How many people, uh, I'll, I'll use this as an example, I'm a little nervous too, because uh, this sermon will be online, but uh, I'll go ahead and say it anyways. It's far enough and long enough ago, I'll probably get away with it without anybody complaining. Uh, years before we moved here, uh, we were looking for somebody, I wasn't in charge of this hiring, but as a church, we were looking for somebody to help us out with music. We wanted some help with music. And one of the resumes that came through, we were really excited to have this person come. 
they had like, uh, like a doctorate in music. They had all this music education. They were an expert. They're like just all of the resume said this is a music expert. And they show up at the church and they go to try out and start playing. And I remember thinking, you are bad at music. <laughs> but they're an expert. Like that's the world we live in, right? Like that's the world we live in. That you can have, now in this case, they could be a history, a music history person and not actually be good at it, orthodox or praxis. I mean, I get that there's a division there. And if I would have been more aware, like I am today, I would have read through the resume and been like, there's no evidence of practical ability. You need to know in Christianity, you are not merely called to be expert observers. You are called to be a participant. You are. Um, I heard uh, Bishop Barron, he's actually a Catholic priest. He does, he's a really deep thinker. And the way he said it one day is he says, <laughs> he says, we need to tell every Christian, your level of criticism should always match your willingness to help complete. And I was like, that's good. Your level of criticism should always match your willingness to help complete you have to engage. You have to participate. So, so here's, here's the thing. If, if you are at different ages and stages, for some of you it's going to look one way, for others it'll look different. Some of you have mountains of free time. Some of you have none, no free time. Some of you have a lot of marginal or extra resources. Some of you have very little resources. It's going to look different for all of you. Just begin to actually engage. So if you are a single mom, and you're barely making ends meet, you're working two jobs, you're totally exhausted, and you're listening to this sermon and you're going, Pastor Mike, I can't. What do you want me to do? Like, I've got no margin. I'm working multiple jobs. I'm trying to keep this uh, family uh, uh, moving forward. I'm trying to get my kid through school. You know, I've got this like toddler and I'm, I'm at home and, and all I have, I barely have enough energy to get down next to them and pray with them at night and, and maybe read like one little story out of the Jesus Storybook Bible with them. How am I supposed to do ministry? And I just want to go... That is ministry. At this time, at this place in your life with all that's going on, that makes Jesus really proud of you. Your ministry is not a ministry of comparison. It is a ministry to complete in the ways that God has laid before you the things that only you can do. And if that only you can do thing is be mom to that one child at this point, do it. Jesus takes pleasure in you trying to please him, not in you being perfect. Participate. Participate. I would love it if everybody knew. Like I was going, what's your ministry? I would love it if everybody knew that. This is my ministry. Right now my ministry is to my two children. I'm a single mom working two jobs, barely keeping his up. Like this is, God, this is what God has laid before me. I'm going to minister. I'm going to bring the gospel to these two children. Praise God. That's awesome. Do that. This season, this time in life, that's your ministry. For some of you, you might be like, I'm a young adult. I got tons of margin. I'm actually, you know, for one person, they're totally exhausted. They have no free time. The other person's like, I got so much free time. I'm literally anxious. 
Well, then go serve. Go be a youth volunteer. Go on a mission trip. Go engage. Be able to say, this is my ministry. And if you don't know what it is, no shame. Ask God to reveal it. Lord, show me where my ministry is. Lord, show me where my ministry is. No shame. Ask him. He would love for you to participate. And you might already be without realizing it. I'm going to invite Josh up and I'm going to pull some of these ideas together here. The, the very last thing is, is, uh, is provide. Pray, participate, and provide. The Bible is full of this idea being played out over and over again through Scripture. Uh, let me add this to the provide section. Provide is, there is so much spiritual warfare over this. The enemy does not want the kingdom of God provided for. The enemy does not want the kingdom of God provided for. Uh, in fact, just pause, and I've said this before, but I just want you to pause and be aware. Like it is socially okay and heart touching and you get tears in your eyes for a commercial or request to help pay to neuter cats or whatever it is. But if you get up in front of people and go, hey, we'd love it if you would help provide for the kingdom of God, they're like, oh, that's inappropriate. Why? Just be aware how odd. Set aside your culturally shaped emotions for a moment and be very aware that it's okay to save the whales, but not okay to save the souls. Just be aware. And if you're offended by this, I encourage you, just go read all the scriptures. This is literally just a small sample of how God talks about resources, money, and they're like, just, just go read the Bible. And if, you're, if you are offended and you're not willing to read the Bible and learn, be aware of that. So just, just be aware. If you want to save whales, do it. If you want to neuter cats, Okay. Also help us spread the gospel and bring the kingdom into this world. Also help us spread the gospel and bring the kingdom into this world. There is a mountain of spiritual warfare over this. So let me run it through this basic framework and we'll be done today. Jesus goes up into heaven or he's just about ready to go up into heaven and the disciples like yo the yo is me that's like the not the NIV but the Mike IV uh, Jesus is like yo hold on I'm going to commission you I'm going to give you purpose Matthew 20 18 19 and 20 right there's other scriptures you're going to go in the world you're going to make disciples you're going to help fund the making of disciples you're going to support the making of disciples. You're going to participate in the making of disciples. And I'm going to go up into heaven and I'm going to leave you with this purpose. And when your job is done, I'm going to take you home. And when the job is done, I'm going to fully bring home here. But until that happens, you've got a purpose. You have a purpose. Whether you feel like it or not, you do have a purpose. So let's run through the framework real quick, real simple. First question, are you alive? 
Okay, well, that's good. That's good. Okay, well, one or two. If somebody was to like flop over, that'd be real awkward right now. But like right now, are you alive? The question is, are you alive? If you are alive, he hasn't taken you home yet. If he hasn't taken you home yet, you aren't done. If you're not a Christian, through the lens of Christianity, your first thing is to figure out what you're going to do with Jesus. There is no other purpose. There's no other reason that you're still alive other than God has given you time to figure out what you're going to do with Jesus. That's through the Christian framework. That's your purpose. If you are a Christian, let's run through it. Here we go. Are you praying? And I don't just mean telling God what you feel about things. That's very good. I'm not against that. Good. Keep doing that. Confession and all of its, which confession is basically just like speaking truth. So confession of all of its forms is wonderful. Keep doing that. But are you also praying for the kingdom to come? When you're driving down the road and you're honestly telling God how much you hate your neighbor or how much your wife drives you nuts or how much your boss is not a good person or your coworker isn't very, when you're, all of those things that you're being honest with God about, are you adding on, Lord, help me to bring your kingdom into this place and represent you well? While I'm here, help me to represent you well. Are you praying? Are you participating? Have you identified this is my ministry? It might literally be single mom, totally exhausted, working two jobs. Your ministry might be, I am going to disciple my children. I'm going to pray for them at night. I'm going to read the Jesus Storybook Bible to them. And when I finish the Jesus Storybook Bible, I'm going to email the church and go, what's next? That's fine. Participating for you might be huge. You're empty nester, kids are all out of the house, you've sold three businesses, you're sitting on a few million dollars and you're like, you know what? I want to make the kingdom of God grow. Where can I engage? And maybe you're somewhere in the middle, like all the rest of us. Are you participating? Are you participating? And then are you providing? Are you providing? Are you providing? Participating and providing. And there's overlap in these for sure, but are you providing? Let me leave you with one final thought and then we'll be done this morning. I, I want to I challenge you. And again, I'm, 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 using, I'm speaking to this because I think it directly uh, deals with a modern way of thinking that I want to I counter, create a counterculture to. Uh, and it's this. When it comes to spiritual impact, so like, Pray, participate, provide. When it comes to spiritual impact, I want you to think depth over breadth. I want you to think depth over breadth. So I think one of the primary ways that the enemy turns Christians off where they don't engage is you think, I don't have enough fame, right? Like likes, Facebook influence, followers. I don't have enough influence, breadth. So what does it matter what I say? Or you think, I don't have enough money. I'm not sitting on millions. So what can I do? Or you think, I, don't, I mean, like you're thinking massive breadth of impact and you think I can't do that. So the enemy uses that to just go, oh, that must not be for me. No, I want you to think depth rather than breadth. So maybe one example, one of many examples I could give. If you were to grab your phone right now, don't, don't do it. Don't look at your phone. Um, 
But if you were to grab your phone right now and you could say, type out the words, I love you. And you could send it to all of the billions of people that live on earth. Bing! Did you know that 99.9999999999% of them would go, what? They don't care. Did you know that maybe 200 of them out of the billions, maybe 200, maybe 300, they would get it and they'd be like, oh yeah, I, I remember you from high school. That's right. Are you like flirting with me? What is this? Did you know that that I love you text message, there's like two or three people, maybe four, it would be game changer encouraging for them. And whenever I talk about spiritual impact, you're thinking about millions of dollars, of people, of followers, of likes, of stop, stop. Who are the two or three it would be game changer for? And actually engage. Actually engage. Actually engage. You can't give to all needs and ministries. You can't. But you should give to some. Not just some interesting things. You should give to things that move the kingdom forward. That should be a part of it. Is this moving the kingdom of God? Is it expanding the kingdom of God or is it not? You can't mentor all people, but you should mentor some, even if it's just a single mom with one child. You can't love all people well. You literally can't. They don't know you. They, they, it's, it's weird. It's weird. But boy, if all Christians loved some well, that'd be breath impact. You should love some as deeply as you can. I'll, uh, my, my, uh, my, my mom, this is um, confession time, confession time. Um, I want people to see beautiful things. That's why I'm a pastor. I want people to see the beauty of God. And it's makes, nothing makes my heart happier when you see the beauty of God so brightly all these little tiny sinful things, they become irrelevant. Like, I love the beauty of God. I love the beauty of God. The place where all the beauty comes from. And so I want to be an encourager. I want to be a person. Uh, we're all growing in this, right? I have a tendency to think of breadth of impact because of my role and my job and the title. I, I think that way. And I need to be reminded. I, even as your pastor, need to be reminded of the importance of just the little ones. This, the, the ones in whom it's game changer. Confession. Uh, I'm, I'm, <clears throat> I'm a man. That's the dota part. And as a man, and I don't always have the best people skills. Like my wife is way better interpersonally with people than I am. And I love ideas. So I find people interesting. When people are sharing their stories, I, with my wife and I, I will often think like, oh, that's interesting. How did that work? How did that? And my wife's like, oh, 
like she feels it here. I think about it here. Like we're just geared different. I really need her. I really, really need her. She's like my interpreter for the world. And not long ago, the family was talking about how often we get a hold of our parents. And I was like, well, I talked, this is a few years back. I was like, well, I, I probably call my mom, you know, once every month, once every two months, something like that. You know, I try to get a hold of her. And then the response from the family was like, that's it? And I was like, yeah. They're like, she needs way more than that. And now that I have a son that's in college and my wife is aware of how much she wants my son to talk to her, I'm getting in trouble for things I did in the past. Awesome. And I just needed somebody to tell me, you realize it's game changer for your mom. Will you regularly send that text message that says, I want you to know I love you. I'm grateful for you and you matter to me. Mike. And so I have really gone out of my way with, because like not, not thinking of millions and billions and dollars and people and influence, but like who are the ones that it's going to be game changer for? And then I, I just get this and, and I, I send my mom a text and it's like, hey, I want you to know I love you and you matter to me. And I hope I don't embarrass her with this, but like when I first started doing it, one time she responded and it was just a crying emoji. It's game changer. I want my mom to see beautiful too. And I know if I display that beauty to her and that little spirit's going to make massive impact. So I just want to challenge you. Think depth, not breadth. But do live praying, engaging, and providing. Take a moment and write on the next steps cards. Please do. What is God speaking to you? Just consider these questions. What is God saying to you? What is God revealing to you? What might he be calling you to do? Actually think, actually respond, and we want to pray with you. I love you. I love that I get to be your pastor. Thanks for putting up with me. You guys are the best. And uh, I, don't, I don't know if it's breadth, depth, personal, but I want you to know this. I really do love this church. And I really do love you all. And I'm so glad that you let me speak the hope of Jesus into your life. I just want you to see beauty. Go ahead and take some time and respond to that.